0: White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 556. David Wright is here. Jim Yelton is here. I'm Van Allen Plexico. This is the White Rocket Entertainment Movie Review Podcast, and we are here tonight to talk about... What are we talking about tonight, gentlemen? Oceans, baby. Oceans 11, 11.
1: 2001.
0: It is the 20th anniversary this year, and I'm very excited. It's one of my all-time... It's a top 10. It's one of my all-time favorite movies
1: done before. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? You want to knock over a casino. Three casinos? Vegas, huh? Vegas? Vegas. Fantastic. The heist is impossible. Casino security
2: cannot be beaten. You're out of your minds. Exactly.
1: (laughs) You are up to something, Danny. What? You're pulling a job, aren't you? You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. You're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are.
2: Who do you got in mind? Smash and grab job, huh? Slightly more complicated than that. Say we get down the elevator we can't move, and past the guards with the guns, and into the vault we can't open. We're just supposed to walk out of there with $150 million in cash? Yeah. Oh. But these guys, that is
1: the sexiest thing I have ever seen, are just crazy enough. You'd need at least a dozen guys doing a combination of cons. Do you understand any of this? I'll explain later. To pull off the con. Someone called for a doctor? Of the century. We're set. We're set. We're set. Do it already. Why well, don't you check the batteries? Congratulations, you're a dead man. George Clooney, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Brad Pitt, and Julia Roberts. Why do this? Why not do it? From the Academy Award-winning director of traffic and Aaron Brockovich. Because the house takes you, unless when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. I've been practicing this speech, I know. A little bit. Did I rush It felt like I rushed That was good. It. I liked it. Ocean's Eleven. You're either in or you're out. I'm staying in.
0: I am your host, Van Allen Plexico. I was just released from prison after doing a four-year stretch involving African ceremonial head masks. I'm joined (laughs) for this caper by David Wright, who's been getting bored teaching poker to celebrities, and by Jim Yelton, who's been having trouble filling the hours and also doing a little freelance surveillance work for the FBI mob squad. How are your nerves, Jim? (laughs) I mean...
2: They're not great.
0: They're, they're not great. <laughs> we were also supposed to be joined by Bobby Nash, but he's developed a bad case of bronchitis and put in for a transfer to warmer climates. So no Bobby <laughs> tonight. That worked out pretty well. We were also going to be joined by Phil Turantine, but he passed away. <laughs> not on the job, skin cancer. <laughs> I didn't send flowers, but I did date his wife for a while. All right, gentlemen. <laughs> it's nice to be working with proper villains again. And here we go, talking about Ocean's Eleven. Very exciting. So, this is a movie that Soderbergh decided to do. I love this. He said, I want to do a movie that's just a pure joy. You go into it, you lose yourself for a couple hours, and nobody really gets killed. There's no particular violence. I'd never really thought about that before, because you think about a crime movie, you think about a heist, you think some security guard is getting killed, or a collateral damage. This is... You know, As much as this is like a crime movie, this is like my kind of crime story, like I would write in my books, where it's just about the fun of the adventure of the, of the mission. I like a good mission story. I like Force 10 from Navarone. I like Lord of the Rings. I like a good mission movie, where specialists go on a mission, and that's what this is. It's, so it's not really like a violent crime movie. It's a, it's a caper, right? So, David, what, David? What is your kind of thought about this movie overall? Kind of going in.
1: Well, I think you're exactly right. And you know, sometimes, when you think about crime movies, you think about you know something ultra violent like a Quentin Tarantino or a mm. David Mamet or something like that, or Sam Peckinpah or whatever. But uh, what you get here, I mean, it's a it's a it's a different kind of crime movie. It's 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 a heist movie, and it's it's got its own formula, mm. and. Um, and so the the appeal of it is in the cleverness of the con. And yeah. so yeah, it's exactly what it is. You've got a, you know you're putting the team together. Everybody's got a specialty, and you're going out and trying to make it happen. But what you've what you've already uh, put your finger on, and I think you're exactly right. The number one appeal of this film, in my opinion, is that um, in that light breezy tone and attitude that kind of pervades through all of it. So yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's a crime. But it's utterly likable and charming, and it there's a there's a kind of a jazzy soundtrack to it all and that carefree confident attitude of the characters and it just it the movie just kind of breezes by and it's just it's just fun you just end up as a just a nice pleasant experience, kind of a soft smile on your face through the whole thing so it's 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 just a very easy watch and the only victim
0: really is the least likable person in the entire movie, so. Which, by the way, again is something I try to do with with Vegas Heist and Miami Heist. Is I always make the people getting robbed the least likable people, so that you have more reason to root for for my guys, right and gals. So, and he
1: and he literally has no redeeming quality. I can't think right. of anything.
0: <laughs> that they do.
1: They they make they go out of their way to make sure he's absolutely not sympathetic at all. That's so, absolutely so true. Make, which which you need that yeah. in order to pull for the criminal. Exactly. You know. Exactly. You know. You want the outlaw to be the. To be the protagonist, yes. um, you, he's got to have a you, you got to have a good reason to be on his side. Exactly, Jim. Overall, about the movie, kind
0: of, how? Do, what are your similar thoughts along those lines?
2: Well, you and I have talked about doing a show about oceans for a long time, and and you hit it right off the top where you know we have this shared mutual love for like men on a mission movies, yeah, and. And that also, I think, is why you and I both like a good heist movie, because, (laughs) you know, where a a men on a mission movie like, you know, Magnificent Seven or Guns of Navarone or, you know, they're more war action oriented things. But a heist movie allows you to have all of the fun parts of the men on a mission sort of tropes and not have all of the, the more heavy elements of it. And so you get to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And you know the the one thing that I loved about Oceans from the very beginning was I felt like, and and we can talk about this a little bit more uh, later on when we go in depth. But Soderbergh, I feel like uh, a couple of years prior he did Out of Sight with George Clooney. Yep, and yep. that was really the first time I remember seeing Steven Soderbergh do a more light movie. I mean, a lot of Soderbergh stuff was a a little bit darker, a little bit more edgy and out of sight because it was Elmore Leonard. He allowed himself to be a little bit lighter. And, and I mean, it's not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination, but it allowed him to kind of stretch himself and be a little bit more playful. And that's also the very movie where you see Clooney become a little bit more of a different actor than what we had seen up to that point and a lot of people point to out of sight as being like clooney's big breakthrough hmm. after so many attempts at trying to be a movie star that he finally became like that guy and i think for both of them for soderbergh and for clooney like out of sight was kind of the precursor to what they wanted to do with ocean
0: yeah i think that's fair i, think it's fair. I want to ask real quick about the um and i yeah i agree too i mean i, I kind of said it already I want to ask a little bit about 1960. Have either one of you seen the 1960 Frank Sinatra, Dean
1: Martin, Jim? Seen it, David? Have you seen it? Oh yeah, awesome. It's. I'm not familiar with it. I have seen it, but it's been a long time. I There's can't say a... that I. I didn't particularly like it. No. I'm a big fan of the heist films, but it didn't. It didn't stick with me at all. It doesn't have a plot. It's just them carousing just around. Right. Yeah,
0: between shows at the Sands or whatever. They're, right. They're, you, you can know, almost they... tell they're not even acting. It's oh just yeah. It's just them. It's like their home movies. Absolutely. But uh, very high. Jim, what did you think about it though? Am I on the right track here? Or is it, or is there more I'm missing?
2: So, yeah, I mean, you're not really off the track because the, the thing about the original one and, you know, I, for some reason, I mean, as a kid, like those Rat Pack movies just seemed like cool to me because there was this mystique around the rat pack. And that's so, it. I mean, yeah. not, not just oceans 11, but I remember watching like Robin and the seven hoods and Sgt. three and, and all of the rat pack movies on TV. And there was just kind of like this mystique surrounding the movies that they were excuses for all of these guys just to get together and have fun when they weren't doing shows mm-hmm. in, you know, the, the main ballroom at the sands. And so You know, this oceans 11, the original was like the epitome because that kind of got the ball rolling for them where, you know, Frank kind of said, well, we're all going to be there anyway. And this plot has to do with Vegas and guys stealing money from the casinos. So why don't we just make the movie and put all of our friends in it and we'll just, we'll, we'll shoot the movie during the day. We'll go party at night. We'll do a couple of shows. We'll have fun on stage. We'll sleep for maybe an hour <laughs> and then do it all again tomorrow. That's it. <laughs> and and so you're right. Like the the plot. Well, and, and there's not a whole lot of plot in the remake either, but they do add some twist to it uh, that I like. But I mean, by and large, it's just an excuse to get really cool people together on screen, you know, having these these very witty banter filled conversations with each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I love the idea that um, they said the idea of it was great, which is you take eleven really cool people, put them in Vegas, and have them do a, a an interesting thing, a compelling thing. They just needed a better script, and they got one. They got a really really good script, I think. And then Soderbergh puts enough charm into it, enough lightness, as you were saying, I think, David, that it, that it the whole thing just works. And it's and I, and. It's, it was more difficult, I think, than you might think, just because look at the other three. I like the other three sequels in varying degrees, but none right. of them are nearly as good as this one. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the uh, eight with the women is probably my second favorite. I, I know it's a gimmick with women so instead of men. It's fine. But it really has, I think, the second best story. 13 or nine. What does it call it? Nine? Ten? Uh, there's 12 and 13 and eight. Eight, it is eight. Okay, so eight, yeah, I like eight a lot, but it's not this. And then thirteen is pretty good. Twelve is one of the twelve is the Highlander two of heist movies in my opinion.
2: (laughs) It really is. is.
1: I was disappointed with eight. I thought it. I thought the cleverness wasn't there. I love heist movies, but I'm there for the cleverness, and I didn't feel like eight met the standard in that area. Okay. Twelve, twelve, Ocean's Twelve wasn't really an ensemble movie they got rid of the majority of the team threw them in jail for the whole movie and then <laughs> made it a, a you know a george clooney story um but i feel like 13 came the closest to capturing what 11 got right yeah. but um and i like them all like you say to a to varying degrees but but there's something I mean, lightning in a bottle with the, with the first movie that really just is. makes it a classic for me right there really is and the the, the interesting thing too
0: like most high stories there's there's a very clear delineation there's the getting ready to do something and then there's the doing it in the aftermath right and and I've in fact, I've plotted my two books very much along those lines of I think you know how do we build up to it Well actually there's three parts because but but oceans 11 doesn't have a lot of part three. Part one is building up to it, planning, getting ready and this movie has a lot of that. Part two is actually pulling it off uh, and this and this movie has a fair amount of that and then part three is kind of what happens after and some high stories put a lot more part three because it becomes, well, they they do the deal, but then there's like the pursuit by other criminals or by the law or something, and it becomes like a getaway story. This one has almost nothing, you know, yeah, after lo- the high. A lot is of times, over.
1: what you get with the crime story like this is you get that third part where you see it all fall apart for them in the end. And so, in the end, these guys end up not. The winners, right? It all just kind of doesn't work out for them. Like in the Frank Sinatra version of the movie, they end up without any of the money. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that that doesn't really happen in this movie. Like the bad the bad guys, our our heroes, the protagonists of the story, they win. Everybody comes out a winner, as far as we're concerned. So it's it's a little bit different that way.
0: And they ran into the same problem with Twelve that I did with Vegas Heist, which is I, I'll, I'll spoil a little bit of my book is that they get away with the money, but the problem is when your criminals are rich, they have no more reason to do any more robberies. So you, if you're going to do a sequel, you may have to figure out what happened to the money, and they and they deal with that in in Ocean's Twelve as well. But that that annoyed me too. So that was kind of a lesson that I learned and used myself for Miami was don't don't drag out that they lose the money, get them right back in the arena working on something again. Cause the whole thing about them losing the money at the beginning at 12 just kind of lost me and I never recovered. It. And then they got into all the other stuff. But anyway, um, um anything else we want to talk about before we get into our categories, we got quite a few to hit, hit.
2: Um, well, the, the one thing about the movies like this, and I, am sure we're going to all pick kind of our favorite cast members as we, as we go through this and, and point out favorite moments that we have from, the various actors, but you know whether it's the Magnificent Seven or Guns of Navarone or something like this, the the cast. I don't I don't care how good the story is. Mm-hmm. Like the this whole kind of movie hinges on who you have in the cast, it does. And that's one of the reasons why this movie works so well because even even when you get past like the top four build actors in the the cast and you start getting into the rest of the team. Like everybody in this movie is great at what they do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and even, even the Mormon twins, when they squabble are good at that, (laughs) (laughs) that ends up being something important. You're like, Oh, they're going to ruin everything because they can't get along and they're going to like get in a fight and, and, you know, expose the 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 heist, and instead, that's actually part of it is that they're there to distract by having one of their fights. I think that was right. that's
1: hilarious. Um, yeah. So, so to me, the number one appeal of this movie is that it's cool. Like everybody's yes. cool. There's this whole attitude of just so cool. I mean. Clooney and Pitt are just as cool as they can be. Oh. They're 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 like blatantly trying to outcool each other on the movie screen. <laughs> they are. They're just being movie stars, you know, and you're just along for the ride. Yeah. Uh, like I said, that little light jazzy soundtrack with the with the warm lighting, you know, color palette inside the casino, and then the supreme, just that pervading, like relaxed, utter confidence. And coolness with the characters like I've got this under control. There is no not a worry in the world. That's right. And it's just you just want to be those dudes. They are the yeah. coolest dudes that you will ever see in a movie. It's all about
0: being cool. And um, it, 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 you're exactly right because think about Matt Damon. Matt Damon is Jason Bourne just a year later, and he's one of the <laughs> coolest guys. And yet he he's like a pencil neck dweeb next to Clooney and Pitt in this movie. He's like a big nerd next to them. And it's, that's that's Matt Damon, and he just looks like, you know, the awkward little brother. So they absolutely... And I have a little more to say about that when we get into it. All right, well, we can we can raise other points as we need to, but let's go ahead and get into some of our categories here. Um, I had a few random factoids, and if you guys want to throw any in, the end, of course, you can. Um, I like that it... Well, the first thing I want to ask you guys is, how many times... Let me start with Jim. How many times... Did you have to watch this movie before their whole plan made sense to you?
2: Um, surprisingly, just the one. All right. Because, you know, as I was going through it the first time, like part of me was like, it's not about the money. Uh, you know, Danny Ocean has more of a, a plan beyond them stealing this money. The money's for the rest of the guys. Like I knew there was another plot in place to get Tess somehow, some way. So, um, and then the rest of it, I mean, it was funny because I didn't see some of the twists coming, but I knew that there were twists. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it made sense to me once we got to the end and I saw what, what they did.
0: I'll just say for me it's about seven times, David, how many times did you, but, but, but this is one of the most rewatchable movies there is. I can sit down anytime,
1: anytime I can watch it. I would say I got the broad strokes of everything probably after two viewings i probably had 90% of it because uh you know you follow it along i'm also following it aware of how these movies are put together which is mm-hmm. yes there's a plan yes they lay out what their plans are going to be they start to execute the plan but something has to go wrong so Absolutely. where is it going to mess up and you know i'm already looking for that it's like okay so that's happening mm-hmm. um so i'm kind of you know but on the second viewing, I already know how it ends and what the filmmaker was going for, and I can kind of see how those pieces are lining up through the course of the movie, because I know how it's going to end up. So I kind of had it figured out after two, but little bitty details kept dropping into place on subsequent viewings. And, you know, little little things like that I'll get into that just kind of some hints that foreshadow what's going to happen later in the movie. That I was like, oh, okay, they were already thinking ahead. They were planting that seed. And, you know, and you you come to realize... I, maybe after five or six viewings, how com- I went with a complete picture of all the little details, the little filmmaking and editing details that they put together of exactly how tight the story is. So, you know, yeah, it, so, but- it's, it makes, it makes it, uh, it's one reason it makes it rewatchable. It is it, true. It, those little tidbits that you can pick up on reward, you know, subsequent viewings.
0: That's true. I, the like I think the part that for me has always been the most complicated is involves the vault, and that's the main I know that's the main thrust of the whole thing is is to outwit getting into that vault and fooling Benedict and his men about what they're doing. But it it took me a while to realize that they actually created a duplicate of the vault not to practice in, which is what they say, but to actually film in. And this is what I caught this time that I hadn't caught before is. When when Danny says to them, we need to build an exact replica of the Bellagio vault. One of the other guys says for practice, and Danny says something like that. Right. He doesn't say
1: yes. Right. yes. He says something so, like that. So here's the other. Here's another part of the heist formula: is not only does the plan have to go wrong, mm-hmm. but you withhold a little bit from the audience. Yeah, you, the audience doesn't get to know everything, so that toward the end of the movie, as it's Arriving at its climax, we as a viewer are thinking, "Oh no, this is falling apart. This is not going to work out." But then there's the reveal that shows the characters are way ahead of us and they've got it covered. And so, um, and so, yeah. So, not telling us exactly what that vault replica was for was one of those withheld pieces of information. As was and, the, uh, the the SWAT van, you know, the getaway plan.
2: Right, and and there's little things like that. And, and you guys both bring up great points about. The withholding of information because i think one of the reasons why the first one works better than any of the sequels is because they did a really good job of cutting off explanation at just the right moment and like you said you know when when they're talking about the vault and building the exact replica of it and you know just having danny say something like that (laughs) is a great way to not reveal the whole plan to the audience, like you, you know that the team knows what's going to happen later on. Like they're let in on it, but it's an, an off-camera conversation. So, 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 you know they do a really good job of of explaining just enough for us to be interested, but not giving it all away.
1: So, uh, so another one of those little tidbits that I talk about, like the little editing moments that um, that it dawns on you later how clever Soderbergh was being is um, when they're practicing in the warehouse, there's a shot of them. I think they may be driving away, but there's a pine tree freshener in the yeah, the air of freshener. The yeah. yeah. But you're not, you don't see the vehicle. You don't see anything else. You just, there's this pine tree air freshener. So, you know, you're in a vehicle, but that's all, you know, yeah. well then, but they, they, they withhold from the audience, their whole plan about disguising as a SWAT team and getting away in the, in the SWAT van. But, at the end when they do there's that pine tree air freshener hanging in that in that vehicle so it lets you kind of you know yeah. put those pieces together and you're like oh, okay they they had this figured out from the beginning we just didn't know about it
0: i think it's and just hard, cool, you know? i think it's just hard for my brain to process all those different threads at once cuz there's a, like right. 55% of my cpu is devoted toward this is cool whoa <laughs> And that leaves about forty five percent to try to make sense out of an air freshener hanging in a mirror so that's why it takes me repeated viewings for that forty five percent to build up to a hundred and I can actually I right. can actually figure everything out so it also explains why they were interested in the, in the twins because at the beginning they were doing radio controlled remote control cars yes.
1: I was going right. to that's something I wanted to bring up literally from the very beginning mm-hmm. of their of those characters introductions you see remote controlled vehicles yeah and that's critical because, I mean, it's, it's serving as a character introduction. So it's already checking some boxes in the first act, you know. But you're already laying the groundwork for what could be a ridiculous part of the resolution of the movie, which is this remote control full-size vehicle. But they've been working since the beginning of the movie to kind of establish that this is something these characters can do. So yeah. I thought that was good, you know, kind of like double-time work there by using that remote control little truck as an introduction to the twins. So I think that's 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 it's good filmmaking, that's good stuff. Because the first time you see it, you're like, what is this
0: whole truck racing, array? what is that? Right. It's funny, but why am I having to spend five minutes of this movie watching them race and, and yell at each other and then you figure out later?
1: Well, and on the first viewing, when you see the remote control vehicle, it doesn't dawn on you that it's because of the racetrack scene at the early part of the movie. Yeah, it just makes sense, and you're bought in, and you're yeah, you're going yeah. with it, right? And then you kind of have to study <laughs> the movie to realize, okay, that's why uh, yeah. I was going
0: along with it. Again, that's about my seventh time I figured that out. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, the first five were just me going, "This is cool," and then number six, I'm like thinking about it, and by number seven, I'm like, "Okay, I get it." So,
2: <laughs> one, you know, one of the things for me that's that's along those lines is the, there's the great scene with Bernie Mac at the car dealership <laughs> when he's negotiating with the guy to get the vehicles for the heist and it it didn't dawn on me until the very end as they're they're doing the reveal of how they pulled it off that he he's negotiating a price for two vehicles like they don't just need one truck they need oh, right. two yeah um, and you know uh-huh. you see them you see them use the one truck is the getaway vehicle that they're, you know, driving remotely. And it never dawned on me until the very end that they used the other truck as the SWAT van. Oh, and I yeah. was like, oh, that's why they needed two, because they were the SWAT team and they needed another truck. And it's it's little things like that that yes. you know you you love in heist movies when they do that kind of rewind. And show you all of the tricks that they did, mm. because then you're like, "Oh, that's why that."
0: And they do have a se- they, they do have a segment like that where they kind of go back and just show you a couple of things where you're like, oh, "Okay, okay," with the SWAT team and all that. They show you Rusty with the
1: mask up for a second, and 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 then all that. Yeah, it's really really cool. And all right, and I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but I put con cons, con stories and heist stories totally in the same category. You know, to me. Mission Impossible or Leverage is just the same thing as Ocean's Eleven, all for the same reasons, you know.
0: Or The Sting, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Did you guys have any random factoids you want to throw out there before we get into our Age the
1: Best? I got a couple. Okay. All right. um, So uh, we've kind of talked about this offline a little bit. But, you know, one of the great little dialogue scenes in the movie is um, when Danny is filling Rusty in or kind of telling Rusty about the job he wants to pull and Rusty, who's Brad Pitt, is like, well, immediately, well, like just right off the top of his head, without without Dandy going into a lot of details, Rusty's already like, well, you know, you're gonna need at least a dozen men running a, a multiple, you know, a multitude of cons. Well, he's exactly right about that. He goes, you're gonna, off the top of my head, you know, what is it? You're gonna need a a, a and a Jim Brown, a, a Miss Daisy, two Jethros, a Leon Spinks, and the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I didn't figure this out until this year. But what he's doing in that scene is he's totally laying out the whole plan oh, that they're yeah. going to use for the whole movie. Yeah. It's, it's all yeah. there encoded, but it's it if you can crack the code, yeah. he's telling you the whole plan in one scene when the, with the minimum of input from the other character. So it's like that's how good this guy is, and they're on the same wavelength that he immediately knows everything yeah. it's going to take to pull it off. And in that scene, Danny Ocean is looking at him like, real patient, like, yep, that's right. You're you're catching up to me. Like I'm already way ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah. I've already thought of all this. And it's like, okay, buddy, you're with me. All right. That's exactly right. We're gonna do it. So uh it's cool that there's that coded message of yeah. here's the plan. And that, that character knew it so easily and so automatically. And and Danny was already ahead of him. So uh to me that was pretty cool. You know, I thought it was more like just witty banter that kind of gave <laughs> us a peek inside the like, con man's world. But it was, those were all codenames invented for the yeah. screenplay, but it, it, it all has like real world references and things. So it all kind of makes sense. The other thing I wanted to, to bring up is when I'm watching a movie, I, I try to be able to discern where the, the breaks are in the acts, like act one, act two, act three. And I I'm, I like to be able to go when Act Two turns into Act Three. and you know, right now we've turned the corner. I like you know it's just something I look for when I'm watching movies. The line is blurred in this movie. You don't really get it. The first act's obvious, right? You're putting the team together. You figure out what the problem is, what the stakes are, and you and you get the team together. Once the team's together, you move into Act Two. Well, usually Act Two is going to be like, okay, here's what we're up against, you know, and then and here's. Here's here's the problem, and it and it's not till act three that you start getting to the execution and the resolution. But but the lines blurred this movie because as he's giving the exposition of how we're going to do the plan, they're already they're cutting they're cross cutting you know flash forwarding and coming back to the debriefing. They're already doing the plan while we're learning about it. So it's we're kind of already straddling that line back and forth. So it took me it took me a little bit to kind of figure out like to decide where I thought act three really started mm-hmm. and I've got my idea that do y'all, do y'all want to, Yeah, what you do y'all saying? have your own thoughts when act three begins? Cause to me, it's not as clear cut as it is in most movies. What you saying, I have a, I have a theory.
2: I, you know, I kind of, have always felt like it act three starts the, the night of the fight when they're actually going to rob the vault that, that everything up to that point is, them overcoming the obstacles that they need to be able to pull the heist off. And then the third act, what would, what we would traditionally consider as writers, the third act is, you know, the, the nonstop rush to the end. And, and that's all that final night when they're, they're pulling the heist off, various things go wrong, or, or at least as the audience, we think there's things going wrong. Right. but, you know, Danny and Rusty knew that they yep. were going to happen and, and planned for it. And, uh, and you see it kind of unfold in front of your eyes and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right. I, I was going to put it a different way, but it's actually the same answer. And that is basically, the, you know, what is the point of no return for this team? Like, mm-hmm. they've got their plans and they've started doing stuff. But if they were to bail out right now, nobody would know. Okay, so what is that point of no return? and it's it's the it's the fight night but i was thinking when they trigger that uh the pincher the emp, yeah, the yeah. EMP. right the emd the EMP. EMP. yeah e, okay uh the emp um and and they black out las vegas there's your point of no return so oh, um nice. so i took that as it, it took me a little while to figure it out because i feel like the line was blurred there but but there you go <laughs> basha um what about this movie has aged the best David. Oh, let me see. Would I write anything down for that? Okay. So, so a couple, uh, I I have three things for this answer. Uh, Two of them I've already touched on. One is just the the attitude, just that confidence and that cool that everybody wishes they had. You know, Danny is somebody who's always in control. Even if other people think he's not, he's got all the bases covered. Um, And then it's the jazzy uh, soundtrack, which I think is absolutely just perfect. Um, that's correct you know uh, Soderbergh creates this this fun cool atmosphere it's all about being cool Mm -hmm. and then he gets out of the way and he lets his movie stars be movie stars and um so I think the 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 color palette right and the and the soundtrack um just just reinforce what he's doing with these characters in the movie very well. So I think that works great on a, on a cinema level. Yes. And I don't, you know, I think that's going to continue to age. Well, it's going to make it timeless. The other thing is just the dialogue. The movie is so quotable. I mean, there's so it's, it's just such <coughs> good dialogue throughout the whole movie. And just, it's very witty and, and, uh, and it holds up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. That's, Jim, What age the best?
2: Um, I mean the whole movie practically, I mean, it's, you know, I feel like you know they did such a good job, and, and you know, David just said it. I mean, it's it's timeless because they don't have anything in it that would really date it that much. Uh, you know, I mean, we could be having the same conversation twenty years from now, yeah. And you know, there's nothing in that movie that screams of of the period, um, other than the fact that there's a lot of references to the way Vegas used to be, but you can still have those conversations now 20 years later about how Vegas used to be back in the fifties and sixties. Sure. Sure. And, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, uh, these movies kind of hinge on the cast and this cast, you know, you, you could take that exact group of people and remake this movie today and it would, it would turn out the same way. I mean, they, they would all give similar performances. Like I, I think they all still fit those roles, which is why the sequels... I mean, we, we talked earlier about how the, the varying degrees of success of the sequels and, and the spinoff, but these people all worked so well playing the parts that they did and, and gelled as a group so well that I think it really is one of those movies that stands the test of time, and it's why... I watch it every single time I see it on TV, you know, even if it's just for five minutes here or there. I mean, it's just one of those movies that, you know, I, it's hard for me to find fault in. Oh, yeah. Because the performances are great. The story's great. It, it looks great. I love the soundtrack. I mean, it's, it's just a great movie all around. It's just pleasant. It's just pleasant.
1: Yeah. Every, every single scene puts a smile on your face. Yeah. You know, you're not blown away, but you're just having a really good time. Hundred percent. The two things I noted were the music for sure.
0: I mean, it's just so suited to it. I like that if they picked, um, I was reading that they that a little little less, a little more, little less conversation, a little more action was a lesser known Elvis song before this movie came out. But they wanted something that was evocative of Vegas without actually having Vegas in the title. Or the lyrics because they
2: didn't want "Viva Las Vegas" because exactly. they felt like it was overdone.
0: Exactly, and I also had the style, which is kind of what. Which I'm going to get more. I'll get to more of the style in just a minute. But the color palette, you're right, is it's lush. It's amazing. What is age the worst? I'll go ahead and say for mine. What age the worst for me? Was it the early scene when they're at Trump Plaza? <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't aged too
1: well. well. That does date it, I guess. Yeah, um, a little bit. That's all right. So, so like. Like Jim was saying, there's very little in this movie that, that dates it at all. There's It, it should hold up. as fairly timeless, it'd be, and be interesting to see how true that bears out. But just trying to find something that might be dated in the future, the only thing I can come up with is, you know, the computer technology, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, eventually starts to look outdated. Um, and then the fact that you're using real boxers in the fight, Kind of ties it to a certain time period, right? You know, but mm-hmm. if you had fictional boxers, maybe it'd be a little more timeless. Yeah, so lives that's lives a, lives. that's all I got. That's all I got. Yeah. I mean, everything else, I think, just just works kind of in an evergreen kind of way. Jim,
2: I I think the the only other thing, and you know, we we saw this. I mean, they they talk about it in the movies. As a matter <laughs> of fact, you know, when when you have you know, Ruben talk about you know, in especially <laughs> in thirteen where you know, you're talking about them destroying and demolishing the older casinos to put up these new casinos. Um, You know, to me, that might be the only thing that eventually ends up dating. This movie is if any of those three properties that are in the movie end up going away at some point and being replaced by something else. And I mean, not that I see it happening anytime soon, but you know, it, the Bellagio is going to be around for a while. I, I could see the MGM Grand, maybe at some point, just because it's the oldest of the three, maybe going away and, and having a new property put up in its place. But you know, it's just that that's the only thing to me that I think is is different now versus Las Vegas then. I, I think if you were to make that movie now, they'd probably pick a couple of different properties because there's there's bigger, shinier, newer. Right. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's it's hard to pick some things that didn't age well. Well,
0: you know, the uh, the Bellagio actually, actually changed hands between when they made the deal to film there and when they filmed there, because Wynn, uh what's his name, Steve Wynn, I guess, owned mm-hmm. it, that, the famous, yeah, and then he sold it to somebody else, but they said that um, one of the producers, maybe Soderbergh, one of the producers actually was tight with the new guy, too, so they just said, oh, yeah, come on in, so they... They let them shut down the parking lot and do all various things. You know that was pretty cool. Um, unanswered questions. I had a couple, but I've I've done some half ass internet research to find the answers. I was wondering what that little disc did that Danny slides down to the two guards at the vault door, and um, because you see it slide, and then a little thing pops up on it, and then you cut to them walking out. And the guards are unconscious, and I'm like, was it an explosive? Doesn't look like it. Was it gas? Was it hypersonic? And it, you know, or whatever, because, you know, read comics, you get all those kind of things. And I was reading that it's supposed to be a gas. They just don't show
2: it. So, yeah, because you see them slide it down and then you hear the thud of the, the guards yeah. hitting the floor. Yeah. So you never really know what it did.
0: Exactly. So that was okay. We got kind of having have an, an answer to that. Um, did you notice that Elliot Gould is behind Julia Roberts and um, and Benedict, Terry Benedict, at the fight? At the fight, yeah. yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. is he is he supposed to be there or is he just kind of there to kind of see what happens? Because he doesn't do I, anything.
1: Well, he's maintaining his cover. I mean, yeah. I think his, his role in the heist is just like the financier, right? And so he wants to maintain appearances and he would normally be at the fight, so there he is. I, I To me, I mean... I just took that stride.
0: I've got two more. One of them. This is the part of this of the plot that I had the hardest time believing. And a lot. I mean, obviously, a lot of it stretches credulity. But you can kind of go, well, you know, if this happens or that happens, I guess that makes sense. But the part, the part that I'm like, ah, eh, was when when Bruiser is supposed to be beating up Danny, and it, it goes for like an hour and a half. I'm supposed to think that nobody ever comes in and checks, you know? and then when they finally do, he's got like one bruise. <laughs> Are they not? Sus- We've had you in here being beaten pillar to post for like an hour, and you <laughs> you look fine basically. So that was uh, <laughs> that was to me uh, a stretch. But that's that's just a nitpick more than an answer question. The last one is: Did you have you ever noticed that in the end credits it says "and introducing Julia Roberts"?
2: Yes. Yeah, so that was a joke. Yeah, the joke, right. <laughs> yeah. She was
1: the biggest female movie yeah. star in Hollywood uh, at that point. So, uh, yeah, the, there was the, some, joke, some joke between Clooney and her. The story funny. goes that Clooney sent her
0: the script with a $20 bill clip to it. And he said, I hear you're getting 20 a picture. It's $20 million. <laughs> But I think they all took a big pay cut to be in this together because, my did. gosh, the. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 budget for the cast alone would have
1: been you know like doing a, right. a Star War
0: or something. And, if,
1: I, uh, and I think that's probably common in ensemble movies. Everybody agrees, yeah, they're going to take less just so it can get done because they all want to work together. And oh, how yeah. cool is it? For everybody you know, so be together.
2: And and in true like one of my favorite parts of the behind the scenes making of this movie is that in true kind of heist fashion. The the leader of the heist. So Clooney was the first one cast, mm-hmm. and he basically went out and like recruited everybody else that ended up in the movie.
1: Put the team like together. The, the studio
2: <laughs> kept pushing other people. Yeah, and you know Soderbergh was you know looking at other people, but Clooney was the one that when push came to shove, uh, went and talked to Brad Pitt and said, "You got to do this movie with me." He's the one that went and got Julia Roberts. He got everybody else. And even some of the lesser names, Clooney was the one that was like, I want that guy and convinced Soderbergh. So I thought that's like the, so Danny Ocean Mm -hmm. and, and it proves where this really was like the turning point for Clooney and, and him going from a guy who was trying to be a movie star to actually being a movie star. To being a guy who could make movies, get them greenlit, that was an above the title A list movie star, and not just the guy who killed the Batman franchise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the other factoid I have about that is that uh, the reason that uh, War Machine is not Bill Basher, oh,
2: Don Zito, yeah.
0: Yeah, is because he wanted to be top billed alongside the other three guys. And above the title, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and they, the studio wouldn't do it, and he's like, well, then I don't want to be on there at all. But when he came back for I guess twelve or thirteen, they they did. But, above um, the title, he got his way. Yeah,
1: I'm mm-hmm. like, if
0: you're gonna put Damon up there, put him up there. Heck yeah. Um, yeah, but then you run into the problem. Then everybody wants up there, so you got to be careful. But but I I, I see. To me. Clooney and Pitt, and maybe Julia Roberts, are the three that would be up there. I wouldn't have had Damon right. up there either in this movie.
1: No. And I, it was, what was Cheadle's star power like in 2001? I'm not sure he would have really rated. I know. He'd done okay, a few things. He would things. now, but I don't know about then. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. But, hey, Power move on his part. He got it on the sequel, so good. He did. Good for him. Yeah. Love Don Gito. All right.
0: So we're gonna. I'm, I I didn't try to answer this the way I asked the question because I knew that David for sure has been working on this. I figured that uh, knowing Jimmy, I had some good answers too. I went in a different direction. So we're. I'm, I, my question, of course, is going to be: What if this movie were made today? Who would you put in in the different in the cast and director or whatever? But I went a different direction on you guys. I said if it had been made in the seventies, because that's my sweet spot. <laughs> After the original, but before two thousand and one, and obviously, so let me guess. oh, so you Burt know who?
2: Reynolds. The,
0: oh no, that's the low rent version. <laughs> that's that's the Hal Needham version. It's got a lot of car chases around Vegas. In no. like, okay. it looks a, it looks, okay. looks a lot like Diamonds Are Forever. I was gonna say this has got to be Roger Moore as Danny Ocean. It's. I'm gonna say that's. <laughs> If you go the the Hal Needham Burt Reynolds Ocean's Eleven, it's gonna it's gonna look like Diamonds Are Forever. There's gonna be Fords chasing each other around Vegas parking lots. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. No, no, I went a different route. I went a little more classy because I'm basing it on Sinatra and Dean Martin. I'm basing okay. it on on on, on uh, Clooney and Pitt. I mm-hmm. went Newman and Redford. Paul Newman go. and Robert Redford have got to be Danny and 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 yep. Rusty, because I mean. Brad Pitt basically is Robert Redford twenty years later or whatever. This is the right. same person. Um, Elliot Gould would have still been in it, but he be, he would have been <laughs> one of the younger guys, right? He totally would have been like one of the twins or something, you know. Um, and oh, the 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 casino owner I got Robert Shaw from The okay. Sting. Yeah. You know, he was uh, from you know. I think of him in The Sting. He'd make a good pompous rich guy. Um, right. You know that Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau are the two older guys. You know they're the they're the they're the uh, the Elliot Gould and the um, uh, Carl, uh,
2: Reiner. Carl, Carl Reiner Carl Reiner yeah, yeah gotta
0: be whichever way you want to go I figure Jack Lemmon does a better Carl Reiner that kind of vulnerable confused oh I'm not sure. that's that's Jack Lemmon and then you know Richard Pryor is um, the blackjack no the blackjack dealer oh uh, Bernie Mac yeah oh, Frank Bern- he's Bernie Harry. Mac. I've got, yeah, totally Cain, right. I've got either Michael Caine. I've got either Michael Caine or one of the Fox brothers as Basher because they're actually British okay. and would and would do that. And I kind okay. of I kind of went with the redhead. I went Anne Margaret as Tess.
1: Okay.
0: So that's where I that's where I came down. What, with with Paul works.
1: Newman as Danny? Is that
0: right? Oh yeah, hundred
1: so percent. Paul and Anne Margaret. Okay.
0: Yeah, that okay. works. That's cool. Okay. All right, yeah. David. David, I know you've got a, a modern take. I'm really looking forward to hearing yeah. this.
1: Let it flow. Yeah, I'm excited because at first I thought this was an impossible question to answer. And then I came up with a list that I like, but big caveat disclaimer up front, none of these are an improvement over what we actually got. Fair enough. Okay, so I I make no claim in that direction. (laughs) But if I accept the premise that I must recast this movie, here's my list. Okay, so Danny Ocean, you got to have somebody who's got that movie star cool, who can be supremely confident and smug, but yet still utterly likable and charming. So who do I got? I got Robert Downey Jr. Oh, as, of course, as Danny Ocean. Now my first <laughs> thought, my first thought was John Hamm because I feel like he's got the look. He does, but I, but I don't feel like he's got that movie star charisma that's going to sizzle the screen. Not quite to so, the same degree. And, yeah. and Downey's going to have that little undercurrent of comedy. You know, he's going to inform it just right. So I think he'd be great. Well, if you have Robert Downey Jr. How are you going to replicate that chemistry that George Clooney and Julia Roberts had? So who's your test if Robert Downey Jr. is your Danny Ocean? Oh, it's, it's Marissa oh. Tomei. Okay, <laughs> boom. Okay. Okay, so Robert Downey Jr. and Marissa Tomei. I was all going right, Gwyneth so. Paltrow, but that's cool. All right, so right-hand man in, in uh, the Brad Pitt role uh, went with Bradley Cooper. Yeah. yeah. Brad Cooper, all right. Does that work? He okay. can be
0: the Matt Damon character or the Brad Pitt character, honestly, depending
1: on how you play him. Okay, so the con man, the Bernie Mac role, at first I thought Chris Rock, and then I went Dave Chappelle. Okay. Because my my favorite Bernie Mac scene in the movie is uh, when the interrogation scene where Matt Damon is posing as being from the gaming commission. He's like, you might as well call it white jack. White jack. You know, was, <laughs> I mean, that's Dave Chappelle, right? So I had to oh, that's go. That's so good. That's Chris Rock, too. But anyway, uh, I went so Dave good. Chappelle on that. All right. So for the, uh, For the rival, okay, for the uh, for the Elliot Gould character, you got to have somebody that's a good opposite number to Terry Benedict, right? Because they're old rivals. Okay. So I got to cast those two kind of together. Like, how's that going to work? Well, when you consider the fact that I have cast as Terry Benedict the Andy Garcia role, I've got Robert De Niro in charge of the casino. (laughs) All right, I like it. All right. So the rival, the Elliot Gould character, is totally Joe Pesci. He's totally Joe <laughs> Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. going to have Elliot Gould's uh, wardrobe, you know, that oh. by the pool and everything. And yeah, so I love the De Niro and Joe Pesci thing. So for the twins, yeah. I went James Franco and Seth Rogen right. as, yeah. as the twins. That you was. know, uh, fa- famously, the Wilson brothers were going to be cast in that role. Yes. Uh, Owen and Luke were both going to be cast there, right. which, you know, they could have done a good job with that. But I feel like. Franco and Rogan kind of bring that stoner humor yeah. that uh, was kind of that I felt like was kind of present. So for the the techie, the the computer nerd guy, yeah, I didn't uh, even cast him. I forgot about him. Yeah, he wasn't. Uh, you know, he's least famous guy on the team, probably the least <laughs> famous actor. Um, whoever that dude is, to me, his his uh, the main quality that I rem- remember about him is he's nervous. He's a nervous guy. He's nervous and jumpy. Yeah. So who who would I get to play nervous? So I went with Billy Boyd from The Lord of the Rings, who played Tippin. <laughs> oh, wow. So imagine Billy Boyd is oh, the nervous wow. techie, sweating in the computer room, you know, hoping that he doesn't get caught.
0: Uh, <clears throat> we got to get so, this place
1: robbed before second breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for uh, Basher, right, uh, for the Don Cheadle role. So Don Cheadle kind of famously has a terrible fake <laughs> uh, accent in the movie. So I went with uh, John uh, Boyega. Is that his name from uh, oh. the Star Wars movies? Who played okay. Finn? Uh, okay. So I figured he could he could be able to handle that. Yeah. Carl Reiner role. Yeah. I needed somebody who was old and who was kind of a star from a previous era. And I had a I had the first thought I had was Christopher Walken. Now <laughs> Christopher Walken would have made it a very different movie. Yeah. He would have just yeah. been he would have just been Christopher Walken right in the role, and it would have been great. But I was trying to think. Who else is like? Because like Carl Carl Reiner, he's already gone, right? He's already passed away. He was like really old. And it's like, who do you have that's also old, is still working, and has a history of doing heist movies yeah. in the past? And so Michael Kane is who I have yeah. for yeah. the Carl Reiner role. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. We both and use so, Michael Kane That's cool. And so for the last two it's really easy. So for the protege, the Matt Damon role, I just I couldn't think of anybody else except Tom Holland. I figured he could yeah. probably play that. Unsure, nervous uh, rookie, you know, who's got mm-hmm. some raw talent. And then for the acrobat, you just go back to the Peking Circus or wherever they found the first dude and <laughs> yeah. and get another one. You know, <laughs> he wasn't Probably a big actor. actor. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just whoever, whoever can do it. You know, so that's that's my cast. And, and, and for the director, for the director, you, you, you can't replace Steve Soderbergh. I mean, no one else yeah. is going to capture it. So and so let's you talk know, about Soderbergh for a second. Well, hold on. You know, you
0: remind me of something. You remind me of something. Let me interject. I've been saying the three related movies, but actually there's four related movies, and the one that I forgot is the best. Oh, I don't know what you're gonna say. Mm-hmm. Ocean seven yes. eleven. Right. <laughs> Logan Lucky. Lu- uh, Lu- Lucky Logan or Logan Lo- Lucky? Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky okay. is Logan so Lucky, much yeah. better
1: than the Great other movie. three.
0: It's not as yes. good as Ocean's Eleven, but it's right there.
1: Yes. It's, it's it's better than any of the sequels yeah it's
0: better than it's so good if you if you guys watching him or yes. listening to this have not seen logan lucky oh my goodness it's yes.
1: we had to do a whole show on that so okay I, I, i'm down for that uh that made me that movie made me a channing tatum star Ch- channing tatum tatum tatum, channing, channing, tatum yeah. Channing. yeah uh but you're totally right um the uh he's and that's one reason why you can't replace him if you're recasting Ocean's yeah. 11 is because he's still getting it done with heist movies and Logan Lucky is kind of the proof of that. That's it's, it's it's a great it's a great movie. Um but just, you know, keep in mind let's put it in context 2001, Steven Soderbergh was coming off an Oscar for Traffic. I and, know. And yeah. so he was kind of the hottest thing in Hollywood and totally different. I saw, yeah. you know, I saw Traffic in the theaters and just From a filmmaker, I was blown away how he used different visual tones and color palettes to keep all the different intersecting stories separated. I thought it was a really good design and uh, editing style to put a movie together. And I'd never seen it done, at least not to that extent before. And I came out of the movie theater that day totally impressed with that director. Not someone who keeps up with awards season or whatever. It's great that he got an Oscar for it because I thought it was amazing. But I remember just coming out of that theater, totally impressed. Going, I got to keep an eye on Soderbergh. I'd heard his name before, you know, he'd made raves before, but to me, Traffic really put him on a whole nother level, as far as I was concerned. So, yeah. so you know, when I think about the fact, here comes a heist movie. I always like heist movies, and it's got that Traffic dude directing it. You know, I, I'm in. I, I knew I was going to like
2: it. Yeah, uh, Jim, you bring any- up a good point because the the thing I loved about him coming off of Traffic was. You know, when when you win an Oscar, it you know, and, and it basically gives you the the golden ticket to do whatever you want in Hollywood for your next movie. And the fact that he said, I wanna remake this Rat Pack movie from the sixties about these dudes robbing the Las Vegas casino and I wanna do it with like an all star cast and and you know, do like this big budget thing, like he could have done another Oscar worthy follow up to traffic and just kept his career going that way. But the fact that he was smart enough to say, I may never have this opportunity again to make anything I want. So I'm going to go big budget studio movie to see if I can do that because he hadn't done it before. Like even traffic was not like a big budget Hollywood movie. And Ocean's Eleven is like the epitome of big-budget Hollywood movie. And right. the, the one thing that I love is that it, Steven Soderbergh couldn't help himself, though, because in the initial discussions, he wanted to shoot Oceans in black and white yeah. in the studio. Yeah. And like, that's fine. You can do that because you're, you're an Oscar winner now, and we want to ride your coattails. But we're not going <laughs> to give you the big budget. So right. if you can make a low-budget version of this movie, you can shoot it however you want.
0: <laughs> and an unknowns would yeah, be uh, very uh, interesting. I would be very interested in seeing like if he had done a... There's a version of this that, instead of an all-star cast, has a bunch of rookies. And it would be interesting yeah. to see how it played without the star power and had to lean more on the performances and the, and the plot i i don't think it would be as good because i think that's not what the movie is but i would yeah so
1: soderbergh is somebody you know who kind of disdains hollywood is kind of outside hollywood came up through the indie channels and um like you say coming off this oscar he actually like went all in on hollywood it's like this is the the most hollywood movie you can make but to me it was almost there was a little bit of a wink at the camera a little bit of a smirk on his face as he's doing it you know it's because it's 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 barely Danny Ocean. It's so George Clooney. Yeah. There's barely any Danny Ocean there, you know. Yeah. And it's like he's just
2: kind of playing with it. He just totally leaned into it. So you know, and he, and he seems like he he really enjoys playing in this genre because he comes back to it a lot. I mean, <laughs> Ocean's was kind of like his his first dip into the water, but he likes heist movies, <laughs> and he comes back. I mean. He, his latest is on HBO Max right now.
1: With Don, in it. It, yeah. and, and yeah.
2: Don Cheadle in it, yeah. And it has Don Cheadle in it, and Benicio Del Toro, and John Hammond. Of David Harbour's in it from Stranger it's, Things. And it's on my list. It's a really good movie, but it's yeah. it's still a heist movie. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime mm-hmm. I hear Steven Soderbergh's making a heist movie, I'm like, okay, I don't care who's in it. I'm in.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah totally. absolutely, Jim. Before we move on, and I, and our next question, I want to hit do a do a quick hitter because I think it, it's 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 kind of almost a yes or no. Um, but did you have any recasting you wanted to do? Because I kind of so we that I thing.
2: knew you guys were gonna like just totally outclass me in this. <laughs> and honestly, any conversation about recasting this movie seems moot to me because, like I said earlier, like this cast is so perfect. Absolutely. I I mean I could come up with. 11 names and throw them out there and go, yeah, it would be cool to see this group of people, but it, that's all it was. Now I, it's funny. Cause David stole about half of the cast. I was going to throw out because instead of trying to come up with like the perfect cast, what I was going to do was throw out. Like if I was casting this just solely with people who have been in Marvel movies, yeah. then I could come up with a really good cast that would work. <laughs> And, and David had half of them. In
1: his, so. <laughs> of course, almost everybody's been in a Marvel movie at this point. But that's right,
2: exactly. That's
0: why I <laughs> right. figured I was saved. Well, and you know the funny thing is that of all the of all the big of all the big MCU actors, Hemsworth is probably the most Brad Pitt. He's bigger and all, but I yeah. could see Downey with him as Rusty almost more than because uh, well, yeah, Chris quite, Evans is Chris Evans. I don't think is the, quite the same.
2: So we could do it. Too. If I was going to cast this going through the MCU, I mean, like my. My top ones were, you know, obviously Downey playing Ocean is yeah. just the perfect fit. It's but then, bad. like you said, man, like Hemsworth was going to be my go to to play Rusty.
0: Yeah.
2: And then Chris Evans was going to play Linus mm. and replace Matt Damon, because I think Chris Evans has got like that ability to to play that younger character a little bit. He could do it. Uh,
1: and and the, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Obviously, you know, Scarlet has to play Tess. Um, I mean, that just go. no other person, a player, um, where, where you get into trouble trying to cast in the MCU. Like I figured Michael Douglas could play the Saul part or Ruben either way. You, you know, you, John Slattery was going to be my choice for Ruben and then have Michael Douglas play Saul because yeah. I could see Michael Douglas having a little bit more fun playing Saul. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Don Cheadle could keep his role, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
2: and, I, and, and then for the brothers, I was going to have Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. Perfect. <laughs> and then
1: and the, techie, and the techie and and the techie Paul Rudd, right? The gotta Yeah,
2: Paul Rudd's got yeah.
1: yeah. to be. Yeah, hey, Rudd. be Hey, from now on, we'll when we do recasting, we're only doing MCU recasting. That's a good good <laughs> idea. Although I did like my seventies
0: recasting, but I, but I think that's a good that, idea. That, that, that
1: was we'll, awesome. Yeah, we'll
0: have to do that. <laughs> All right, I want to blow through this one quickly because we have got two more big questions to go to wrap up tonight. Could this be made? Could this be remade as like a streaming series, Jim? What do you think? Could you? Is, is it worth? Is there a way to do it for more than one
2: episode? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there is. I, I mean, it, it would take some thought, yeah. and and you'd obviously you'd be adding a lot of twists and turns to the plot that aren't in the movie. Right. Um, I think you would have to add a little bit more backstory. For characters, That's you know, if if you're doing it as a streaming limited run series of like ten episodes, yeah. which seems to be the sweet spot now for a lot of these shows, um, you're definitely going to have like one episode that is just a flashback to how Tess left Danny. Exactly. Uh, you're probably going to have some flashbacks throughout the run showing how all of these different people cross paths with Danny over the years to where he knew where to go get them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's a way that you could do it and I think it would be fun to do. Uh, but it's kind of like, you know, whenever somebody says, you know, somebody should remake jaws, I'm like, why? Like it was, <laughs> it was perfectly done the first time. Why would you want to mess yeah. with that? Yeah.
0: That's the answer. You got the answer right. You have to do the. You have to focus on the pack's backstory and the relationships. I think, David, what could you add to that, if anything?
2: Well, I mean, I, you
1: open my eyes to that. My my answer was going to be no because my mindset was was okay. Ocean's Eleven gave us that story, so now a TV series is just going to be an episodic run of different cons and different heists. It's like, how many times can you do that? If if you're outside of a casino, it's no longer really Ocean's Eleven. Right. And if you if it, if you're knocking over a casino every week how soon does your suspension of disbelief get destroyed? But if you're taking just this plot and you're expanding it and you're exploring the full backstory, I could see that being yeah. the way to go. But, you know, and I, and I'm about to say, but, but I think this is also would be possible in today's landscape is you got to keep the same cast. You got to keep those movie stars in this TV show, which good luck. <laughs> um, but you know, you sign them on for a, for just a limited run of a streaming service. I mean, you're, you're, you're seeing top stars do that today. That's, so I think that's true. Probably, probably work out.
0: That's true. All right. Two questions to go. The pinnacle, we call it on this show. The pinnacle. This movie represented the pinnacle of what? And I'll give you some examples. I'm going to ask you a couple, but I feel like this movie is the pinnacle for Pitt and Clooney together. I don't think you get them, if you do get them together, I don't know if you get them together better than this. I think this is um, the pinnacle for nice suits with no tie. Everybody in this movie, I guess except for Benedict, because has the they're nice cool. right? They have the nice suit, but there's no tie. I like that. That's the way I would. I, I I tend to go if I can. And I think this is probably the pinnacle for
1: oceans movies, as we've already said. Is this the pinnacle for heist movies? I that's specifically exactly what I have written down. I think it is. Um, you know, I can I can sit here and run down a list of my favorites, and they're all great. Um, I even I even like the score, which was the Frank Oz movie with. Uh, with uh, Edward Norton and Robert De Niro. Right. Um, but, uh, but I don't think any of them touched this one. I think this is it. Jim. I, yes. I think it's, it's, I think it's the pinnacle.
2: Jim. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with all of that because I, I think that it's for it to be the pinnacle of heist movies. It means that everything after has to be compared to it and not measure up quite as much. There, there has to be something lacking and, and it's, not to make any other heist movies bad because there's been lots of great heist movies since oceans came out, but do they all measure up equally across the board in every metric that you could use? And it's hard to say that there's anything that does because it all comes back to Do you enjoy every scene of this movie? Do you enjoy every character? Do you enjoy everything about it? And You know, Oceans has got the complete package. Um, I was going to say, surprisingly, and I I had to pull my note up just to make sure I was looking. I think if you look at it, this Oceans 11 might be the pinnacle for Julia Roberts. Wow. I I don't think she's as big of a movie star post Oceans 11 as she was coming into this movie coming into it yeah right. i mean clear, I, I clearly
0: pretty woman was clearly her going up up the mountain but
1: you're saying that this is right. on the mountain that put her on the mountain yeah, yeah. And,
2: and, and i'm not her. saying i'm not saying from uh you know an acting standpoint i mean she's given great performances since then but from from a star standpoint right she she was coming off of you know Aaron Brockovich the year before Mm -hmm. and the runaway bride was the year before that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like she was at the pinnacle of her career. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the, the story about Clooney sending her the script with a $20 bill attached as a joke saying, I hear that you're getting 20, a picture now, like that was not a, her getting $20 million a picture was not a joke. And, you know, I don't know that there's any actresses that have come close to that since. So, you know, I, I think this was the pinnacle of Julia Roberts as a movie star.
1: And yet she's in like
2: eight minutes of it.
1: Yeah, seven or eight minutes. Yeah. How about that?
2: But, uh, but, but the chemistry is so Yeah. If, if he's not in this movie, I don't think yeah. it works as well. Oh, right. No, it doesn't. Yeah, It doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Now, in,
1: in Ocean's 12, you know, she plays both Tess and she plays Julia Roberts in the sequel. There's a whole... Oh, and I think she's a
2: better test than she is a Julia Roberts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, about Ocean's 12, do I love it? I love that you love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did That's say terrible. I love it. As Terry says, I, out of the four... Well, if you count L- Logan Lucky... So Logan Lo- Logan Lucky's number two. Ocean's is three. Ocean's 12 is four. And I put Ocean's eight at the, at the bottom of it.
0: Whoa! New. All right. Ocean's 11. Logan Lucky, Oceans Eight, Oceans Thirteen, vast drop off like the abyssal in the middle of Pacific Ocean, Oceans Twelve. I just, I really do not like Oceans Twelve, and I really and I like all I like all the actresses that are actors that are in Oceans Eight is a big part of big Mindy Kaling fan. I liked her in it, and I liked Aquafina and all that. So
2: I I was going to say, so you know, while we're talking about the sequels, uh, and I know you've got one more question, so I'll make this quick. Uh, my feeling about the sequels is 12 is Steven Soderbergh going back. I, I, I hate to use the word pretentious because I don't think he's ever been a pretentious filmmaker, but if he's ever come close to being a pretentious filmmaker, it's oceans 12 because there's a lot of overindulging of his directorial sensibilities in that movie. And there's a lot of stuff that didn't need to be in it that could have been trimmed and tightened up that story a little bit. Um, I agree with you about the cast for Oceans 8. I, I was not you know, offended that they wanted to do a female version of this kind of movie. I loved the idea. I loved every single person they cast. Yep. I don't yep. necessarily know that I liked the characters that they were playing <laughs> as much as I did the idea of them making this movie. I think some of the people that are in it are miscast with the role that they have and and not allowed to do what I was expecting them to do in the movie.
1: I thought they were I let down know. by I thought they were let down by the plot. I did, I didn't think the cleverness that I want to see in a heist movie right. was there. I just thought they were a little too check in the box by the numbers kind of movie. So, and, and Ocean's 12 also is to me w- missed the mark on being an Ocean's movie cuz they just kind of like they literally like shoved everybody yeah out of the out of the story you know and made it a smaller cast which that can be a good movie but that's not an oceans movie
2: well and the other thing with oceans 12 is when when they do the the reveal of what the plot is at the end and they do the rewind to show you all of the twists and turns like they had already pulled it off they stole what they meant to steal and so 90% of what we saw was just smoke and mirrors that they didn't even need to do because they already had the egg. They already had what they were going to steal. Right. So right. why go through all of this other stuff? It was right. just to be showy. Yeah. And I know, you I know got it's, it. they should have just cut to the chase and shown up at the, the villa at the end and been like, here's your egg.
1: People just, <laughs> People should just watch Logan Lucky instead.
2: Yeah, I, I it would have
0: taken right. me seven times through Ocean 12 to understand it, and I didn't want to give it a second time through. Mm-hmm. So I've watched it once and said, that's it, I'm never watching it again. All right, our last category, gentlemen, we'll be out of here. Who won this movie? And there's a lot of uh, nominees, I think, that we could put out there. So I'm just going to throw it out here. David, who, who, who would you want to nominate? And we can kind of see who we, if we have a consensus on it at the end.
1: Well, at the risk of being obvious, I have to say George Clooney. Um, to me, this is like the ultimate movie star turn, right? He, he gets to just put all his charm out there on the screen. It's not like um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, where he's like trying to go for broad comedy, right? He's not trying to be some hard-edged action hero. He's just George Clooney, and he just he's totally in his element, and we get to see the reason why you know, guys want to be him and girls want to be with him kind of thing. And it's just, uh, I don't know if his star ever shines brighter. I don't know if it ever really captures the appeal of George Clooney. I don't think any other movie does it better than this one does. So I say Clooney wins the movie. There's an alternate universe where Bruce Willis is Danny Ocean in this movie. And I'm glad I don't yes. live in that
0: universe. I'm glad <laughs> I don't live in that universe. Uh, Jim, who won the movie?
2: Uh, I, you know, I, Ultimately, I have to agree with David because that was going to be my answer. I think it's Clooney, but just for the sake of argument, um, I, I also think the argument could be made that Soderbergh wins.
0: Yeah, I have because
2: I, I, you know, Oscar for traffic or not, mm-hmm. if this movie had not worked, he would not have made another Hollywood movie ever again. <laughs> like he, he would have gone back to making small budget indie movies and contending for Oscars every once in a while, but not ever really being able to put together the whole package and make a big budget blockbuster movie that was going to make big money at the box office. You know, I, I think this was his big swing at a crowd pleasing movie and he proved he could do it. And, you know, now every once in a while when he feels like it, he goes back to doing it just to be able to have some fun and be able to say he can do it. Um, in between doing the more prestige projects that he does, but I I think if he had not ever made this movie, he would always be known as that guy that made the smaller movies that are really good, but never really could take it to the next level.
0: Yeah, no, they all are exactly right. I have I had Clooney and Soderbergh, the whole Ocean's team to a certain degree. I think Las mm-hmm. Vegas won. I mean, this is just a two-hour advertisement for Come to Vegas. I tell mm-hmm. you right, right. now. Without this movie, I wouldn't have any desire to go to Las Vegas. And with it, I really want—I've never been, but I'm, I, I really want to go. And and, and without I,
2: this movie, would there have been a Vegas heist?
0: You, I'm glad you said it, so I didn't have to. That's exactly <laughs> it. Because the the real winner, gentlemen, in this was me, because <laughs> because that my my Vegas heist novel wouldn't exist without this movie. Because a lot of it was inspired by 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 West, Donald Westlake and the Parker books, but but they're more character driven about Parker. This is more about a, a story about a plot, and and that's kind of where the Ocean's Eleven spin comes in is is robbing the Vegas casino. That's not there's no Parker books that do that. And So, and so maybe I, I'm sorry, go ahead. and and and, and then I was going to say that won me an award, and then I wrote a sequel to it, and just this week that won an award. So I have two trophies now. Because of Ocean's Eleven, partly. So you're uh, exactly right. I won, thank you. <laughs> but maybe, maybe you're not the winner.
1: Maybe <laughs> your readers are the winner. Ah, see, we can just—it uh, just gets yeah. layer upon layer, yeah. man. It's amazing. So ma- maybe this movie doesn't want to uh, make you go to Vegas. Maybe this movie makes you want to go to that Vegas, that world of mm. high stakes con men and and yeah. smooth cool dudes.
2: Yeah, because yeah. I mean, and, and David brings up a good point because. There are certain things in pop culture, in, in whether it's a movie or a TV show, that present a world to me that I just want to go live in. Yeah. And this is one of them. Like I, I just want to live in that world of smart people who are pulling off comms against each other and with each other. And like I want to be a part of that team. And it's not the reality of Vegas that I want it's that fictionalized version that I want.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, on that note, guys, I think we are out of time, but we've, uh, we've hit all the high points. We've hit a few of the low points. This has really been
1: fun. And, but, uh, all right, I gotta, I gotta get back to cold decking team beat cover boys. <laughs>
0: I got a whole shrimp cocktail in the fridge. I got to go hit, <laughs> um, but I'll see you guys at the Bellagio uh, water fountain. All right, we'll gather around there for one last wave. Good, good night. So, as the waterfall, I should have the sound effect. If the, as the waterfall falls down, we say, say, uh, we'll see you guys uh, down the road. We'll see you at the movies.